founder of, of SFL Scientific. He decided to go the risky route after getting that big old framed receipt. I mean, PhD, going into his own agency with his two buddies. They launched the company, got their first client, did about, call it 200, 300 grand their first year, quadrupled that in their second year in 2016, going up to around 800 grand, hoping to break 1 million this year. Again, helping companies understand and build machine learning into their, both machine learning and AI into their business and data sets. This is episode 722, coming up tomorrow morning with Scott Duffy. He breaks down how he sold his company to Richard Branson and then how oil prices tanked the whole partnership. But first, here's today's episode. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Hello, everyone. Good morning. My guest today is Michael Sagala. He's the CEO and co-founder of a company called SFL Scientific, a data science consulting firm that specializes in big data solutions. His firm leverages advanced machine learning and analytics techniques to provide insight into numerous industry-spanning problems from healthcare to stock market prediction. Before founding the company, Michael worked as a data scientist in several well-known tech companies, such as Compete Inc., Akamai Technologies, and he also holds a PhD in particle physics from Brown University. Michael, are you ready to take us to the top? I am. Thank you so much for having me on today. You're, you're welcome. I'm glad you're on. So, hey, kick us off real quick. I don't want to lose audience right off the bat. Whenever they hear machine learning or AI, there's so many people just throwing those words around right now because it's sexy. Why sure. are you the real deal? <laughs> That's interesting. So, I guess we're the real deal because we really come, and you mentioned it, right? So, our background, at least from the uh, the the founding team. We were all particle physicists doing our PhDs in very kind of cutting edge R&D space. So back when we were doing our PhDs, and we can kind of get into this, uh, we were, do you know what the LHC is, CERN, the Large Hadron Collider? Is that, is the LA, you mean, is it an, ex, an exam? No, it's, you know, the, the big particle collider where you smash a whole bunch of protons together and we were looking for what came out of it. Michael, I wish I was that scientific. Yeah. All right, don't worry about it. So <laughs> we've all been solving very complex R&D-based problems for years and years. So the team just has an incredible kind of background and understanding in this from an academic perspective and now from a business perspective as well. So we've understood how to take these problems and solve them in ways that we can actually translate to value. So I think that's why we're truly the real deal in this field. And have you guys decided to bootstrap this company or have you raised capital? We're completely bootstrapped. That's great. How did you bootstrap it? What, what, what money did you put in? Uh, I think all in, we were about $2,000, which okay. is pretty incredible. We had the great luck of getting our first client within the first few weeks of starting the, the company. So yeah, we were able to kind of grow and have a client all very simultaneously. What the start. What that first client pay in terms of the amount and what were they paying for? Tell us about the product. Sure. So they were a very interesting client. So they were a group out of Stanford studying sleep apnea. So, um, which is what sleep apnea is a disease. When you go to sleep, you basically stop breathing for periods of time and this causes death, right? You can imagine you stop breathing. Okay. That's an issue. So right now, if you have sleep apnea, you go to a doctor, you get hooked up to all these you know, charts and blood pressures and it monitors it. They had this idea of taking just the sound, recording your sound from an iPhone app at night and being able to determine sleep apnea through machine learning from your re 
recording of your sound. So they basically hired us to build out this entire suite of AI machine learning product solutions. Uh, and we did that, and it actually got them through FDA regulations, right? So it was a completely new thing in the medical space using very sophisticated data science. Um, so they paid. They were our first client. They, they didn't pay nearly as much as people pay nowadays. I think about a factor of four less. Um, <laughs> but I, I think they got a very good value for what they got out of it. What were? How did you price the thing? Though? I mean, are they paying for API calls? They're paying professional yep. service fee. Is it monthly? What? Right. So we're a complete. Uh, we're a professional service based consulting firm. Right. So we don't offer general products. We don't offer black box solutions. We write very customized algorithms for our specific client aimed at their needs and their kind of business goals, right? So we go in there and they basically pay us to develop these algorithms. You know, if there's an API call, sure. But at the heart of it, it's some kind of core algorithm we're building out for them. So we should think about you in terms of a business model like an agency. Uh, I mean, we're, we're a consulting company. Right? Yeah. We're, you come to us with your problem. We are going to build the best tailored solution for your problem to hit your business goals centered around your data in one way or the other. Got it. So that first customer, what year was that? It was 2015, just about two years ago. Okay. And how old are you now? We are two years old. No, no you personally. Oh, I'm 31. 31. Okay. So, so 27, you got your PhD, you're launching the company, you're about two years old now, got your first customer. And tell us what that first customer paid. Uh, they... or, or, or what, maybe not them specifically for confidentiality reasons, but tell us what a potential first customer paid. It, it depends. So we have customers that just want very high-level scientific advisory. A couple hours a month, no big deal. We have other clients that sign up, up for us for the first time that will staff two or three of our people for months. So you can imagine, it could be from a couple thousand to a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of... So, you know, there's really no typical client engagement yet, but you can kind of do some median around there and say, oh, you know, high five-figure, low six figures is usually the typical kind of starting point for clients. And is that starting point from a time perspective, is that a monthly cost or an annual cost or a six-month cost? Or So we do, especially on a lot of very high-level R&D-based projects, um, it's very time and materials. It has to be very hourly because the dynamics of what we're doing is so R&D. It's hard to say this will take a month or a week or a year. So we like to do hourly-based projects that have some minimum requirements, right? You need to staff us for three months. We will guarantee this. And in turn, we'll do it on a kind of hourly or some kind of retainer-based project. Well, so like, let's, let's role play for a second here. I'm, I'm, I reached, I'm reaching out to you guys because I heard you on this great podcast called the top entrepreneurs. And I, I say, Michael, I've got, a, I've got a ton of it. I've got a ton of data. Our team doesn't know what to do with it. I think you're his brains on it will help us make use of the data. Maybe you apply machine learning or something and you get some things out of it. Here's the scope, right? One, would you change the scope Two, how many hours do you think it would take? And three, what would you bill me for that? Is that kind of how it works? It is. And to be honest, most clients aren't informed enough to understand the true scope of the project. So what we do, there's kind of this life cycle that evolves. So a lot of it is just coming in and having that upfront kind of education and then business question discussion, right? Strategy, pure data strategy. Where are you? Where do you want to go? And in this conversation, the scope just bleeds out of it instantly. Mm -hmm. Once you kind of have that scope, you say, okay, this is how long it'll take. These are the algorithms. Here's all the fun stuff we'll do in the middle. But the most important part that we always have to push back to the client is this is the value you'll get, right? Here is the end result. The output of your algorithm will allow you to enable your customers or your internal sales team or your product 
to move forward from the business perspective, right? So we have that conversation and then they say, oh, great, I'm willing to pay this much for it. Got it, got it. And then take us back to the first year. Do you remember what your first year revenue was? Uh, I, I do remember. Um, it was it was low, right? How, it was, how low? It was in the low six figures, which okay. was enough to support the three founders. And, you know, it's a sales cycle. Service models, you know, you have to create them. They're organic, they're slow. We were very happy with that. So we were we were proud to crack that number. And remind us again who we was. You said two co-founders, there are three of yes. you total? Yeah, there's three of us total. Correct. Okay. And and what are your guys' if you had to label each of you? Who's the business? Is there any females involved? Like who who's who has what? So from the three co-founders, so I do more of the businessy stuff, right? I do a lot of client discussions, talking, growing the kind of business. Um, I have another co-founder who he kind of mixes. He does a lot with me, but he's also extremely technical. Um, and then we have our third co-founder. He handles all of just the actual implementation, the the behind the scenes coding stuff. He doesn't like talking to people, but he's very good from a technical perspective. So we all, you know, we have me all business, him all technical. Then we kind of have a hybrid guy in between. And how did you decide to split equity? Uh, we did. Well, I took an extra percentage point, but we split it 33, <laughs> 33, 34. Got it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and how do you, in an agency model like this, like a so- software company, it's easy to think about the potential exit, right? And then that's when the equity really matters. And an agency, yeah. sometimes, you, especially in this space, you guys could probably print a lot of money for yourselves, right? How do you just start, decide at the end of the year, what to take out of the agency and pay yourself versus what you keep in to reinvest? So the la- the first two years, right? Cause we've only had two technical tax seasons come up where this discussion is important. We invested a lot back into the company just so we can grow it, right? Because we have employees, we need to pay salaries and things. We need money in hand such that if a big client does come on, we can quickly spin up resources. So we've had some very low salary that, you know, our wives said we need to maintain before we have to go get real jobs. Yeah. Um, What did your wife tell you? The real number? Yeah. But it's low. It's, it's embarrassing low, right? It's no, like this is Okay, good. Look, this is important <laughs> okay. stuff to understand, right? Like everyone goes through this discussion. Why I it's my job to I've got to ask that question, right? No, so that's fine, right? That's, 80K. that's to keep the lights on, pay the mortgage. Stay married. Stay married before <laughs> she tells me to go get a real job. Um but then anything else we invest back into the company. That's amazing. And then in twenty sixteen, did you guys break a million? We almost did. So okay. this year we will. Uh, but we quadrupled from 2015, we quadrupled revenue, and this year we hope to quadruple revenue again. So, like 2016, can I say like 800k is pretty accurate, something like that? Pretty close. Okay, yeah. and then 2017, you guys, will you feel really good about breaking a million? Oh yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, do you think you'll quadruple again? I hope so. Good. I mean, we'll we'll triple, and the the goal, right, is to, if we quadruple, we'll all we'll all feel real nice. Yeah, that's great. And what are you guys at now in terms of employees? We have 10 full time people now. Um, so we're growing. We probably will bring on a couple more people by the end of the year. But it's all it's all driven by our sales cycle, right? If we get a big client and they come out of the blue sometimes and, you know, they want three people staffed for a year, sometimes you have to spin up resources really quick. So it's hard to estimate at this point, but maybe by the end of the year, we'll put another two or four people on staff. Yeah, this is where I've seen a huge weakness in agency models is you're so like, I imagine I, I'm just guessing. Well, how many clients do you have? Are you working with like right now? Uh, to date, I think we're billing about a dozen concurrently. Okay. And, and true or false is there, don't name it, but is there a client that makes up more than 20% of your revenue? The single client? 
there is, and that's dangerous. Yeah, right? we, we understand that very well. So that is my question. How are you managing that risk? And the risk, just for those listening, I've yep. heard this, this pattern many times on the show. If that client cancels, then you have to cut four yep. staff members, and then the current staff members don't know how long they're going to have jobs, so they get uneasy, and then you lose talent. Yep. So how do you mitigate that, Michael? So the beautiful thing is, not to say it will never happen, so we've never had a customer leave us yet or knock, cut us. Knock on wood. Knock all the wood you can find. Start knocking. <laughs> Um, so we, we mitigate in a couple ways. So we have extremely talented people that don't just work in one small project. They can work across the entire landscape of data science. So if I do lose a client, there's tons of other opportunities for them working in. Uh, another thing that we do to diversify the risk is we don't invest only in one problem or vertical. So our clients literally come from pharma, healthcare, insurance, cybersecurity, doesn't matter, right? We, we don't overly invest. And the important part of that is I worked for a company that had a similar type of model, but they invested very similar, uh, very heavily into oil and gas. And then BP, their tanker hit something and they lost all the oil. They cut all the co contractors. The company's dead, right? So we don't try to invest too heavily in one sector that might go under, right? So we try to diversify. So then how do you win clients from the agency that is just like you, that is only focused on that one sector? And their That's argument is we're better at, at Michael because we only do one thing. No, that's easy. We prove value in a lot. Of, so I'll give you the short story. Well, maybe it's not too short, but it's informative. So when you look at data science in general, across any vertical, doesn't matter. You can pick a vertical, the problems or the challenges, they don't like when you say problems, the challenges <laughs> that we're solving are unanimous, right? If you're looking at healthcare, cybersecurity, finance, they're all solving the identical solution, the, the identical challenge, Right. So we are very capable of understanding how to solve these across all these use cases or whatever, such that when somebody does push back and say, oh, I want somebody who's an expert in pharma um, because that's, I'm a pharma company, it's easy to very quickly show them how you're an expert in all these other domains and how they are exactly the same problem as you have and prove out that value very quickly to them. Um, so it's just an education of saying, well, guys, you're really, you might think you're extremely unique, which you may be, but in, from a data science perspective, it's really not that big of a deal. Have you figured out a way yet to build, I just finished this book called thinking in systems. I bet you've probably read it cause you're in the engineering type, but Donna writes about how the most valuable companies are the ones that identify reinforcing loops. We might call this in software network effects like Facebook, right? The, the, the friend graph, you know, Amazon has all your buy data so they can recommend new products and do predictive analysis. Have you sure. identified or built any systems for any of your customers where because of your machine learning or AI, you've discovered a reinforcing loop that gives their business a true moat? That's interesting. So we're starting to get into these things called knowledge graphs, which I think is something that you're leaning towards, where you have all of this vast amount of information and you want to, it's all structured, right? It's coming from Twitters and your podcast and all sorts of news agencies, right? And you're kind of synthesizing and understanding all of this information simultaneously and automatically to create these large scale knowledge structures. So we actually do have some projects currently going on. We can't talk too much because they're in more of the, the space that people don't like you talking about. But yeah, I mean, that's that's precisely the types of things that you're doing, building these large graphs of information and knowledge that will completely revolutionize 
all fields in a very, you know, in the next few years. And the ability to create a reinforcing loop that makes your company worth a trillion dollars, it ultimately comes to, if everyone has access to you, ultimately comes down to the data you're inputting into the system to teach it. Is that accurate right. or no? It, it is. I mean, you know, there's the, uh, you know, crap in is crap out, right? Sorry if I, if that's not an okay word no, to that's say. No, that's great. But, but it's true, right? If you don't have decent enough data to support a model, right, a model that is accurate to a degree that we need to specify, then you're not going to get anywhere, right? Like there's no magic potion. There's no snake oil, right? If your data isn't complete and if it's not predictive enough, you're never going to be able to build a model that is predictive enough. Uh, so you're absolutely right. And do your clients, I mean, you, you just mentioned the same system works across all industries because it's unanimous. I imagine clients, and if they're going to pay you 200 grand, they want exclusivity because if you're working with Wells Fargo, they don't want you to go then work with, you know, BB&T tomorrow. Is that accurate? Some do. Um, you know, it's it's actually surprising how few, especially, you know, when you're not in only the enterprise, right? From, you know, mid-sized companies down the non-exclusivity isn't too much of an issue. They might just want you to not work with their exact competitor or something, but it's not too big of a deal. I mean, all these companies know that they're all doing the same thing, right? Like you do a project for a pharma company and within three weeks, you hear from all their competitors, right? They're all talking to each other. They all know these things are happening. So they're all driving at the same goals together. So in an age where Michael is serving everyone, who wins? wins who wants to pay us more that's a terrible question right no no that's, that's not necessarily the truth right so we we look at it and say what's the potential of the project where do we see the state of the industry going you know which one would we want to kind of invest most in and it's very dependent right last question here before we wrap up with the famous five what industry in terms of ai and machine learning are you most excited about in terms of impact that those two things are going to have on the industry health for sure we're doing some phenomenal work I mean, from things like detecting cancer and images to actually taking reconstructed organs that we are able to detect in our, our algorithms, grow those organs in a kind of 3D printing environment, and then put stem cells on top of them to grow new organs, right? So the, the state of the art, the ability to do things that are phenomenal, you know, in healthcare right now, we're just blowing up. I know you guys enjoy listening to every episode each morning, but what if there was an easy way for you to get all of the data I capture on my podcast in a very simple Excel-like format, where you just go there, you view it, you sort all the companies by revenue or CAC or ARPU or lifetime value or churn or gross margin or valuation, whatever you want. You can now get it. I spent $25,000 to build a beautiful piece of website. Okay, that's what we'll call it a beautiful piece of website. It's getlatka.com. G-E-T-L-A-T-K-A.com. Now here's the deal. This data is super valuable. I think Mattermark, CB Insights, PitchBook, they do a great job with data, but they don't tell you revenue and customer counts and revenue per employee and gross margin. This is stuff I have that nobody else has because I've done the interviews. If you want to be and get an advantage, I'm only giving it to 10 new people every month. 10 people. So if you're hearing this now, you're probably one of the first. Go to getlatka.com and sign up immediately. It's free to use, free to check out, but it's a great resource. I'm only giving it to 10 people every month so that it's a real advantage. You know, if I give it to everybody, it's not an advantage area anymore. So only 10. Go to getlatka.com for the top 200 B2B SaaS companies and all the data laid right there for you to study, analyze, interpret, and get an unfair advantage. That's G-E-T-L-A-T-K-A.com. All right, let's wrap up here, Michael, with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Uh, I like a book called The Challenger Sale, which is a nice way to think about you know your sales perspective.
Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? I like the Google guys. I mean, I know it's cliche, but they're doing phenomenal work in all industries. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have, like Acuity Scheduling? Uh, Slack. We use Slack all the time. Uh, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I don't know, six, six okay. and a half. Maybe. It's not bad. And uh, what's well, your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? I'm married. Yeah, you mentioned married, and you said you're 31, right? Correct. No kids? No kids yet. All right, so last question. Take us back 11 years. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Oh, uh, diversify my education. Learn more than just science from the early set. It'll help you out. There you guys have it. Diversify your education from Michael, again, founder of, of SFL Scientific. He decided to go the risky route after getting that big old framed receipt. I mean, PhD, going into his own agency with his two buddies. They launched the company, got their first client, did about, call it 200, 300 grand their first year, quadrupled that in their second year in 2016, going up to around 800 grand, hoping to break 1 million this year. Again, helping companies understand and build machine learning into their, both and machine learning and AI into their business and data sets. Michael, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's episode with Michael, go back and listen to yesterday's episode with Owen, who breaks down how he got 543 upvotes on Hacker News and how much traffic that drove his website.